0: Welcome back to True Crime Shrine. It is a podcast where three humans get together to talk about tatas and true crime. That's fun. That falls into the weird bullshit category, I think. Yep. True Crime, we like astrology, and we like any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are your host, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. We're moving on to 101, folks. Woo! Double digits, baby. Yeah, yeah. Double or triple?
1: Triple digits, baby. (laughs)
0: Like I said, I think I actually probably am definitely getting sick.
1: (laughs) Because that was a really stupid thing to say.
0: (laughs) I'm like, one, two... I like how it was just like, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and I even in my head, I was like, one, two, three, double digits, babe. And I was like, no, okay. Double zeros.
0: Wow. Maybe that's what tripped me up. I don't know. And then maybe I was thinking double zeros kind of look like boobs, going back to tatas.
1: So many boobs. Tatas like tetons. <laughs>
0: I had a student today in lab ask how to pronounce titer. And I was like, well, don't say titter.
1: <laughs> It's not tiger, tiger, <laughs> tighter, titer, t-i-g-h-t. No, t-i-t-e-r, like a bacterial. Oh, liver. that kind of titer. Oh, oh. And, I,
0: and I was like, don't go to your doctor and ask about your titter.
1: <laughs> How's my titter, doc? So it's t-i-t-e-r. Yeah, that's for like bacterial viral load number. I should have known that from the context.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, and I what? could not understand what you were doing with the joke. No. <laughs> I learned doing at-home kindergarten that in that instance, you would say oh. tighter because there's an E at the end. You kind of ignore the R for a second, but there's an E at the end, and the E is a bossy E, and that E tells the I to say his name.
1: tighter So if it's tater, it's A. Tater.
0: <laughs> I feel like I might... Honestly, a little extra kindergarten work might help with some of our pronunciations. So you also have when two vowels go walking, the first one does the talking. So like, for instance, rain, R-A-I-N, A. Rain. Laugh. A. Yep, laugh. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about like phonics. Okay, that's cool. I didn't have that piece of knowledge to give her, but I, I did say Tighter. Well, now you can use that one. Does it have a bossy E at the end?
1: (laughs) And I'll be like, no, you're a bossy bitch.
0: (laughs) So much learned from kindergarten phonics. It was great. Because I kind of thought I was joking when I say that I'm very impressed when people can speak more than one language because I can barely speak English. Mm -hmm. But I do have a little bit of trouble with speaking English. (laughs) (laughs) I can read and write it. Fabulous. The speaking part is a little difficult. There's a lot of words. Well, I have a very strong beverage, so we'll see how my pronunciation goes a little bit later in the episode. I just have water. Maybe, maybe I should get a strong bev. I don't know.
1: I had a shower beer, and I don't need anything else. All right. so it was basically on an empty stomach. Ah. Ah. Yeah, that'll ah, do that. Ah
0: ah ah. ah. Dolphin crimes. <laughs> I'm done. I have a little bit of housekeeping for you, ladies.
1: Woo! Okay.
0: And a side tangent. Which one do you want first? Oh, that's hard. Housekeeping. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Ding. Clean house, clean mine. That cannot be true. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to welcome West Virginia. <gasps> oh! Wow! Wow! wow. Isn't that that song? Baby. Wow. Take me home. Country roads.
1: country roads? Yeah, that one. Does it go to West Virginia? I thought they say West Virginia in it. Or maybe it was just in the movie they said the West Virginia part. All
0: I know is the Take Me Home Country Roads, and I couldn't sing the tune. Seems like a place that would have country roads. It is West Virginia. All right. So we are up to 43 states, so we only have seven more to go. Ah, oh, thank you. Welcome. West Virginia, you're not the last. We're getting there. And then my side tangent, which I'm really excited but still like disappointed about is i don't think i could write this case without being fuming mad but on friday may 12th of this year Lori valo was found guilty oh my god yeah i thought about that case because it's a little too modern for my taste but Mm -hmm.
1: it has a bit of like the weird cult stuff i like but then i was like maybe not a baby killer to this podcast. Yeah. I've learned my lesson and I'm trying to stay away from those. Oof. Well, the woman I read next week does kill a baby. so oh. Pre-worn. Oh no. Mostly a lot of men.
0: Okay. It balances out. It does look like we're going to have to wait a while. I think it's like even three months for them to schedule the sentencing hearing.
1: So long. And
0: while she's waiting for that, I'm hoping that her new roommates will (laughs) welcome her with open arms and shivs, maybe? Whatever they have on hand, bitch. The state of Idaho did take the death penalty off the table, so maybe the inmates can help us out. I honestly kind of forgot about the death penalty, but it makes sense that Idaho still has it. They do still have it, just in this case, because they needed some other information from her. Oh, right. Yeah, so it's kind of like a plea to take it off the table yeah it's kind of useful to have around for that i guess yeah but (laughs) good that is positive progress in the justice system it is very much so she's very guilty very fucking guilty all right well we are going to head to the cowboy state otherwise known as wyoming
1: i would have said texas yeah dallas cowboys
0: i know right oh america's (laughs) team This just so happens to be one of our missing seven states. Oh, call out. Hopefully this does the trick. So a little bit about Wyoming. It is the 44th state. It was admitted to the Union. It could be our 44th state too. (laughs) It was admitted to the Union on July 10th of 1890, and it is known for its stunning landscape which includes Yellowstone National Park, Grand Teton National Park, and the Jebediah Smith Wilderness. So this is a very beautiful place. It is the 10th largest state in size, but it is the least populated state in the U.S. with only 585,000... Holy shit, people? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That is tiny. Yeah. Like even like Vermont or New Hampshire has more people in it. Yep. North Dakota? Yep. It is bigger, I guess. And for comparison, the city of Seattle has yeah, 733,000 residents in 83.78 miles. And so <laughs> Wyoming has 585,000 plus in 97,914
1: square miles. Just All right. so you know.
0: That's the polar Thank
1: opposite. you to the buffalo for keeping the population down. <laughs> Maybe. They do like to,
0: uh, what is that, gourd people? Yeah. I mean, if, fair game if you're going to mess with the fucking buffalo or bison.
1: I just bison. feel like we did yeah. very bad things to the buffalo. Not vice versa, but... You just hear about the people that go down to visit Yellowstone, and then they're like, yeah, they're tourists, and it's not—it's oh, not fucking well. Disneyland. That's a wild animal that's like two tons, yeah. and it's angry that you're trespassing while it's trying to get its groove thing on. With oh, the ladies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the time when you're the most high-strung. Yeah. So,
0: also for some fun for you, I have a couple of weird laws that are still on the Ooh. books. So in Wyoming, you may not take a picture of a rabbit from January to April without. A <laughs> oh, you
1: what? can't take a picture of him? It's rabbit shooting season. <laughs> With a camera. With a camera. Got my Nikon. <laughs> and only for like half of it. Why the, what, the fuck? what? Why? I don't know. That's insane. Wow. That had to be
0: like passed by their legislature. <laughs>
1: For some reason, right? Yeah, that's something that they have to decide on. Oh my god. Yeah, that's what they're spending their time on. Oh it's a very state. They small, filibustered quiet, that one for it's sure. It's a very quiet state, I guess. So they have some time <laughs> to talk
0: about the rabbits and the rabbit paparazzi. Probably Yeah, wow. <laughs> you may be subject to a seven hundred and fifty dollar fine if you fail to close a gate. You know what? Fine. Close your fucking gate. You consider a lot of these are, like, homestead ranches and stuff, so it's really important for them to keep their gates closed, so. That one, that one makes more sense. If drunk Uncle Larry leaves it open, then he might get a fine. This one I thought was interesting, but no person shall take, wound, or destroy any fish in Wyoming with the use of a firearm. No shooting fish in a barrel.
1: Nope. Okay. Mm -mm. That seems fair to the fish. I'm for it. It almost
0: seems harder to kill a fish with a, a gun than like a fishing pole or a harpoon. <laughs> and then it is illegal to wear a hat in a public theater or place of amusement that obstructs a spectator's view, which I love this. I like that.
1: Yeah. It's probably bad. Take in the off Calicoi your wide brim hat, hat indoors,
0: you dumbass. Because they wanted they wanted to see the dancing ladies. Oh. plus I'm super short, so like even if yeah. you're taller than me, but then also if you have a hat, then I don't get to see any of the fun stuff.
1: No one cares that you're balding, Larry. Just take
0: off the hat. <laughs> so in the city of Newcastle, it is illegal to make love in a freezer. Good. Clearly this is an issue in Newcastle.
1: Yeah, there's, there's definitely a story behind that one.
0: Oh boy. <laughs> For sure. And my favorite, last but not least is it is illegal for a woman to stand within five feet of a bar while
1: drinking. What? So you got to take your cup and go. You have to go sit down. You can't be seen. Oh, that's like some but old like outside shit. Outside
0: of the bar. Like, no, not
1: outside of the bar. Just no, five out, feet away from, from the, the bar. bar. Oh, from the, the bar where you bar order the drink.
0: Itself. I thought you meant-
1: I think of the bar as the
0: establishment.
1: That was like something that was discussed in like Peaky Blinders where women couldn't be seen drinking alone. You had to be with someone or else it was intended or implied that you were there to pick up a gentleman. Oh, yeah. Like you were soliciting.
0: Maybe they are.
1: People still take it that way sometimes.
0: And you're like, I just wanted a beer, bro. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get to it. This is a little, not too terribly long, but I'll try to get through it pretty quickly. Have either of you heard of the Tarzan of the Tetons? Oh my God,
1: no. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Jesus Christ.
0: You are in for a real treat tonight, then. Oh, boy. So let me introduce you to Walter Earl Duran. Walter. He went by Earl, which is what I will refer to him as as well. Okay. And Earl was a spree killer in Wyoming circa 1939. Woo! So we're going to talk a little bit about Earl's early life and kind of mixed into his mid-life, which then ultimately was end of life. The end of the story, Earl is only 26 years old, so we're just going to kind of give you an overview of his life. So Earl was born on January 9th of 1913 in Rockville, Missouri to Walter Wilbur Durand and Effie Jane Durand. Effie. I like it. Effie.
1: Isn't that the character that, what's-her-name, plays the in Hunger Games? Hunger Games, yeah. It is. Oh, okay. Effie Trinket, I think her name is. Okay. Trinket.
0: So there was some conflicting information about his siblings, but ultimately, Earl was one of four, and he was the only son. So some of the articles said that they had, like, I don't know, just weird names, and then some of these other oh. ones said they had these weird names. So I went back and did a little bit of ancestry research. So I'm going to go with what that presented, which was two older sisters, Jessie, who was born in 1905, Ina May, who was born in 1906, and then his younger sister, Mildred, who was born in 1914. Those are all perfectly normal names, disappointingly. <laughs> Here's some more fun ones as we go on. So shortly after Earl was born, the Durands decided to move from Missouri to Powell, Wyoming, and the Durands were ranchers and farmers. And in 1919, they settled near Bitter Creek in between Powell and Garland, Wyoming. So it's like almost smack dab in the middle between the two towns. From most accounts, Earl had a typical childhood for like a farm kid in that pre-depression slash depression era. Mm -hmm. And he spent a lot of time taking care of livestock and working in the fields. Earl really loved books, which I can appreciate. I like (laughs) this. He specifically liked folk stories that revolved around nature and wildlife and camping and just the outdoors in general. And as Earl got older, he also became interested in historical tales. Oh, we could hang out. It was said that in 1917, his Aunt Emily gave him a small Bible and that Earl read this Bible at least five times cover to cover. That's so boring. (laughs) He was versed in the Bible. Earl loved the outdoors, and he had an avid interest in hunting and tracking, and he was known to be an excellent marksman. He loved being outside so much so that he pitched a tent out back of his parents' house, and that's where he called home. Wow. So, okay. That's a choice. At the age of 12, so in about 1925, Earl came down with pneumonia, and... And was bedridden for a few months. So this was really like hard on him because he wasn't able to be outside and enjoying the things that he loved. Hmm. Earl really liked learning, but school really wasn't his thing. So he did decide to drop out in the eighth grade. So like 1926, 1927, he was about 13 or 14. Earl was very smart. He was very articulate. And he actually had pretty nice handwriting for a dude. Well, back in the day, yeah. mm-hmm. like everyone had very nice handwriting. And the reason why I picked this story is because of a letter oh. that he penned to the local sheriff. And I will read that letter for you. It's a good thing I grew up when I did because it is in cursive. So I did have to read cursive for all you zubers, Yeah. All you guys. All right. So you could say that Earl was built like a brick shit house. He was 6'2", 250, all muscle, no squish. He had blonde hair, blue eyes. He was very, very built. He loved to run and had been known to set off at night for like, yeah, I'm just going to go for a jog, right? But he would cover upwards of 40 miles. What in the world? Okay, I don't want to hang out with him anymore. That sounds terrible. Oh, my God. Right? So that's like 13 and a half 5Ks for all of you Just runners out there. Just in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah. I'm bored. I'm gonna go for a run. See you tomorrow.
0: <laughs> well, right? honestly, he's a Capricorn. He is putting, he's going all in. hmm On running and learning and being a cowboy, it sounds like, living up to the state's name. hmm Absolutely. So Earl was known to be a very kind and loving man who was slow to anger, which... Is super surprising because of how the story unfolds. <laughs> I
1: know, like I don't.
0: I kind of still like Earl right now, besides right? the running. Well, besides the running, Ugh. the only time you'll see me running is if something's fucking chasing me. And even they're <laughs> probably
1: not very far because I just can't breathe. <laughs> just, just, just get me. It's fine. <laughs> I'm done. I tried running is worse. I used to like running, not that far. I would do like forty five in a week. Not in a night. It's <laughs> hey, a whole night. Yeah.
0: Yeah. As the country was falling on hard times in the pre-depression and Great Depression time, Earl would often lend a hand by hunting and then providing the wild game meat to his neighbors who were just struggling to get by. So he had a sense of community. Hmm. Yeah. He did prefer to walk. Not run. <laughs> instead of using a car. There were cars back in the late 30s. And the interesting thing is that there was actually quite a few cars in this particular town, which given the time frame, was a little surprising, but we'll get to that when we when we get there. So he preferred to just kind of walk around town. Sometimes he used a horse and cart, right? He grew up on a farm, they have that kind of stuff there. Mm -hmm. So he really did love to help people around him. So he was able to provide a lot of that meet for families in the neighborhood. And then also he liked to complete mail order classes, which was kind of a thing back then. He didn't finish school, but he still wanted to educate himself. So he would earn some money and then he would pay to have these classes basically shipped to him. And so he studied outdoor survival, taxidermy, and gunsmithing. Cool. Several of his close friends shared stories of like how talented he was outdoors and just how kind and generous he was. And it seemed like Earl was always busy. He always had to be doing something. So if he was not on his family's farm, he would go and work on neighboring farms, taking care of daily chores, caring for cattle. He liked to spend time in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And he would also go over to Oregon and fight wildland fires in the summer. So, I mean, he really had wow. quite a range. He also, and this was kind of a weird thing, took several trips on foot to Mexico. Well, all right then. From Wyoming. Yeah. So walk down, walk back. Oh, my back. God. <laughs> Morris says that's stupid. Like, what the fuck? We agree, Morris. So it didn't say why. My guess was Donkey Show, but that was my guess. I don't know. We don't know. We do not know. He likes the animal. Uh, Who knows?
1: We don't need to know. So let's
0: get into March of 1939 because this is when shit got weird. Okay. And we're going to go daily on this crime spree. Oh, my God. This is a spree, like a real spree. It's a real spree. So Monday, March 13th of 1939, kind of around early evening time. So in March, it'd probably be about, I don't know, like 5.30, 530 6 o'clock. Yeah, somewhere in there. So 26 miles outside of Cody, Wyoming, game wardens Dwight King and Boyd Benyon were notified about some people who were possibly poaching. They were taking pictures of those rabbits. So the thought was that they were probably some elk poachers out there. So King and Benyon set out to investigate and they kind of get to the area and they attempted to flag down this car that had four occupants in it. And the driver was Gus Knopp or Knop. I don't know. It's K-N-O-P-P. I don't know how you say that.
1: Probably Knop, Like, or probably probably Knop. Sorry. Knop. <laughs> We canop? don't we don't know. Probably not Kanap, we... but probably I don't know. Fuck it. Never mind. Uh, never mind. Uh, let's go Kanap, just cause it's fun.
0: Why not? So Gus Canop of Pow Wyoming was driving, but he refused to stop. He did slow down, but he like refused to stop. <laughs> okay. Earl, 26 at the time, was out with Gus and Gus's son, Ronald.
1: Oh, Ronald.
0: And Ronald's friend, Tom spint. Okay. Spint. The boys were like 15 or 16, somewhere in there. So they were actually poaching elk. Hmm. They were near the North Fork of the Shoshone River, about 26 miles outside of Cody. The wardens, King and Benyon, kind of waited near this place called Wiley's Sherwin's Trail Shop. And that's when they had seen the car coming down. So they kind of like get in the middle of the road and they're like, hey. As the car slowed, they see Earl jumped from the rear passenger side of the car with a rifle in his hands. And he took off into the woods. Oh, he jumped out of the car. He jumped out of the car. So Gus did stop the car. Gus is like, what the fuck? (laughs) Right. And then him and his son and his son's friend were arrested. They did end up confiscating poached elk that was in the trunk of the car.
1: But then where does it go? Then it really goes to waste. I don't don't They should at least eat it. No, they actually auctioned it off to the town so okay. people could bid uh, okay. on it.
0: Okay. King and Binion took the trio down to the police station and the sheriff, Frank Blackburn, was actually in Los Angeles at the time picking up a prisoner to bring him back to Wyoming. So Frank's daughter, Janet, booked them into um, jail. Oh! Uh,
1: Wow. Family, Family business. business.
0: Yeah. She's like, yeah, dad's not here, but I'll go ahead and take care of it. It's fine. <laughs> oh, my God. So on Tuesday, March 14th of 1939, a local rancher, Johnny Yeats, discovered that two yeats. of his cattle had yeats. <laughs> two of his cattle had yeeted. <laughs> no, they had been shot, sadly. Well. Oh. One of the cows was missing a part of his flank. Okay. That's a normal part of the cow to take, at least. Yeah, that's dinner, Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeats contacted the undersheriff, Noah Riley, to report the crime. Not and Janet? Riley... No, not Janet. I'm not sure where the undersheriff was the night before, maybe at home. I don't know. Anyways, Riley was aware of the altercation the night before, and so he just assumed that Earl was the culprit of this, so... Riley ended up deputizing a couple of local ranchers, and then they all set out to search for Earl. And Earl was located and arrested about six miles west of Cody, near the Shoshone Canyon. And this was fairly uneventful, the arrest of him. So they go on Wednesday, March 15th, 1939, all four, Earl and his friend Gus, and then the two boys, they go before the judge so they have been charged with killing an elk out of season, and both Earl and Gus pleaded guilty. So Judge Walter Owens fined both Earl and Gus $100 and then sentenced them to 60 days in the county jail. Wow. The boys, Ronaldo and Tom, kind of just received like a really stern lecture, but they didn't get a fine or jail time. The county prosecutor, his name was Oliver Stedman He also charged Earl with a felony for killing the cows on the Yeats farm. Mm-hmm. Oh. This charge was not presented at the same time as the poaching charges. So they kind of like took him back to the sheriff's department while they're waiting for whatever that was going to look like. And it seems like while Earl was in holding, the sheriff Riley, and his cronies were kind of mocking Earl, saying, oh, you're going to see a 20-year sentence for the death of those cows.
1: Like a cow? Just pay it
0: back. Earl's parents, Wilbur and Effie, drove from Powell to Cody to visit their son. To be clear, there wasn't really any information on Earl's state of mind at this point. His father did make a comment later that Earl seemed to be in a moderately complacent mood. Okay. Which is me almost every day. Moderately <laughs> complacent. I mean, in prison, I might be a little more riled. <laughs> well, we're getting there. Just you wait. So the following day is Thursday, March 16th of 1939, and this is where shit starts to go sideways real fucking fast. Under Sheriff Riley brought Earl his dinner at about 5.30 p.m. On the tray of dinner was a bottle of milk. Now, remember, we're in 1939, so that bottle was made of... Glass. Glass glass. Earl took this opportunity to snatch the milk bottle and then smash Riley in the head, causing a concussion and a really gnarly gash on his head. This is why you needed Janet, right? Janet would have poured it into a plastic cup. I think so. Earl is a big dude, so without much effort—oh yeah, he's huge—he was able to take Riley's gun and then force him outside into the parking lot. So once outside. Earl forced Riley to get into the driver's seat of his patrol car. But so they're like going through town and it didn't say whether like Riley was in the front seat and like Earl was in the back with a gun or if he was like in the side or whatever. But so they're driving with town and then this is a small town. So one of Riley's friends sees them and he's like, huh that's kind of weird. So he kind of like follows them. And then I guess Earl brandished the gun like out the window or something like that. Anyways, so Riley's friend like turns around and like beats feet back to the police department. As I mentioned earlier, Sheriff Frank Blackburn was out of town. So Riley's friend ended up talking to the prosecutor, Oliver Stedman. And so Stedman like was like, what is going on? He gets down to the police station and there's like I guess Earl had let everybody out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And
1: you're free to go. And
0: you're Chaos. free to go. Crime Oprah. Right? It didn't say, like, how many people were, like, yeah. in there at the time. But I guess some of them were just kind of, like, hang out in the parking lot. Like, oh, uh, what now?
1: What do, do we do know? now? It's like, I was only in here for, like, drinking. I don't need to, like, leave.
0: That would make it worse. The town drunk's like, this is where I sleep. Oh, that's my bed, bruh. so Stedman secured the prisoners and then he sent out an alert to police in and this is where I'm gonna get like fucked on saying names let's drink a little bit more yeah Matiste Matiste yeah Matiste I'm gonna go with it sounds real Grable and Powell to be on the lookout for Earl so remember Earl's from Powell Mm. but he's in Cody Wyoming right at the moment so he sends out this alert, like you need to be on the lookout for Earl and then the under sheriff Riley in Riley's patrol car. So very embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> now they're gonna make fun of
1: Riley, oh, unless he dies. But oh,
0: nope. Okay, Riley's car was reportedly seen approaching the Duran home in Powell. So Earl's headed home. Okay. And Deputy Sheriff DM Baker, who was 69, and then Town Marshal Chuck Lewis, so this is in Powell, uh, who was 44, and also reportedly a friend of Earl's, or like had gone to school with him or had known him growing up. Anyways, they drove out to the Duran farmhouse to take Earl into custody. When Earl and Riley arrived at the Duran home, Earl kind of forced Riley inside. and His mom and dad were like, what?
1: What are you doing?
0: Like, you need to calm down. Like, just suck it up. Like, it's not going to be that bad. Just like calm down. Let them arrest you. Like, stop. Like, you got to stop. You're making it worse, but yeah. (laughs) Earl was not having any. Any of it. So he started packing his shit so he could just, like, <laughs> skedaddle out of there. And then around 6 p.m., Baker and Lewis arrived at the Duran home. They kind of parked on the road, and then they start walking towards the house. They fanned out a little bit as they approach, and then a shot rang out, followed very quickly by three more shots. Baker yeah. was struck and died at the scene. Oof. Earl's parents, Walter and Effie, ended up taking the mortally wounded Lewis to the hospital. Oh! At approximately eleven p.m., Lewis succumbed to his injuries. The bullet that Earl had fired had pierced his side, right beneath his heart, oh. shattered on his backbone, oh, blah, blah. Nope. and severed his spinal cord.
1: Oh my gosh! He died. Yes.
0: During all of this, right, Riley's the under sheriff of Cody, and yeah. like so. What is he doing, right? Well, Earl had his gun, so he just kind of, like, snuck off, I guess. Oh, my
1: God. Jeez.
0: And so when Earl started firing at Baker and Lewis, like, he, like, took that as a chance to kind of, like, get out of there. Not so a hero. He still was very severely concussed, but oh. he did make, yeah, he did make his way across the pasture to another farm owned by a gentleman named Otto Smith. Otto. Otto. Otto and his wife ended up taking Riley to the hospital, and then he got treated for his injuries. And then Riley reached out to several law enforcement agencies in Red Lodge, Billings, and Bighorn. He wanted people to come in, right? They had just lost in the town. They had lost two deputies, essentially. Yeah. So Friday, March 17th, happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. By 3.30 a.m., more than 50 men had arrived in Powell, led by the retired game warden Tex Kennedy. (laughs) The posse set out with very clear orders. Find Earl and kill him. All right, then. That is a posse. As daylight broke, a plane was dispatched and flown by a gentleman named Bill Monday to search for tracks in the snow. So all the while, just FYI, Uh. there is, like, a snow storm going on not like storm storm but like there's a lot of snow out there
1: Oh, damn it i'm drawing it in summertime so the indian paintbrush is in full bloom it's fine it's it'll be beautiful <laughs> okay you can I draw no
0: flake in there honestly <laughs> oh, don't God. think that um planes belong in posses no that doesn't make any sense and still, I had to, like, check. Like, I was still like, this was, like, an old case. Like, did they even have that? Yes, they did. They did have they, all I of I guess that they shit. really jumped into planes pretty quickly. But again, this uh, is, like, ranch town. So, like, they're going to have some of this equipment for the purposes of raising cattle and things like that. Yeah. So, still, with all the effort that all of these guys are putting out, they cannot fucking find Earl. He is nowhere to be found. So Saturday, March 18th, 1939, Sheriff Frank Blackburn finally arrives back in Cody around 3.30 p.m. My assumption here, it doesn't say it, but my assumption is that they had gotten word to the sheriff before he arrived. It didn't say, though, so... I would hope so. I mean, could you imagine? like, your whole town's falling apart, sir. And I'm the one in charge. (laughs) Right? And no one told me. Sheriff Blackburn, he assumes control for the search for Earl. So he's man in charge now. He's back in town. So on Sunday, March 19th, 1939, services for Charlie Lewis were held. He did leave behind a wife and two teenage daughters. And so the town is in mourning and the posse is still out there searching for Earl. In this particular moment, while I was reading through this information, I just had a vision of of Tommy Lee Jones from the movie Fugitive. Did you guys ever see that Never movie? have seen it. No. Oh, I hate you right now, literally. I don't Sorry. watch
1: movies. I lived under a rock most of my life. The Fugitive has
0: Harrison Ford as this Ooh. doctor. And the thing is, is like, I think this was kind of based on a true crime story. So he's a doctor and Tommy Lee Jones is like police officer, or FBI agent or whoever in charge. Of finding him because he escapes from, like, a prison transport after an accident. This does sound familiar. So all the while, he's like, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. It was a one-armed man. Anyways, it's really good (laughs) for (laughs) you. But in there, when, like, right after the bus crash and they, like, get to the scene and he's having people start to search, like, Tommy Lee Jones does his, like, super cool thing. And he's like... What I want from each of you, every one of you, is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, and doghouse in this area. And so that's kind of uh-huh. what it made me think of. Anyways,
1: uh-huh.
0: so I, I just had of flashbacks. Anyways, if you have time, watch the movie The Fugitive. It is good. Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, can't go wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's an older movie, but it's still, it's a good movie. So, Monday, March 20th of 1939, services for D.M. Baker are held. He left behind a wife and three adult children. And Sheriff Blackburn calls into Cannon City, Colorado, to the penitentiary for two bloodhounds. Ooh, yay! So, now I have a little side tangent about bloodhounds. And I did spend a little bit more time than I needed on bloodhounds, but I was so super impressed. So bloodhounds are known as man hunters and their sense of smell is a thousand times better than a human's. So just imagine. Oh, I bet cologne drives them fucking crazy. Ugh. Someone was wearing too They're much just like, cologne ugh. in lab
1: today. And I was just like, I don't like ugh. you.
0: So their sense of smell is so powerful that they can track a scent for 130 miles. Jesus. Wow. Okay. That is impressive. To give you context, if you were at the Space Needle in downtown Seattle and the bloodhound had your scent, he could track you all the way from Longview, Washington. So, for our listeners, <laughs> or if you guys want to do it right now, Google map that shit right now. It is insane. That's insane. Right? Wow. Longview is like almost to Portland. Yeah, that's insane. Just by smell. Crazy. What's even cooler about their sense of smell is that they can pick up a dead scent. And what a dead scent is, is like, let's say you do put your deodorant on or spray your perfume. For the average person, that scent goes away fairly rapidly oh
1: yeah like it dissipates okay exactly it's not like constantly being created like how sweat kind of oh, does yeah okay. it just keeps adding
0: they can track a scent that is 12 and a half days old holy shit wow isn't that crazy i didn't even know like scents would stay around that long yeah i guess where do they go i don't know and then in the 16th century and i thought this was so cool so in the 16th century bloodhounds were used extensively to hunt for men Specifically poachers and thieves.
1: ah, Because ah. they could just, like, sniff the carcass and be like, I know this person. He's over here. Follow me.
0: Exactly. Oh. Game wardens using the bloodhounds would catch poachers because they had fresh blood on their oh hands my God, from yeah. skinning the game. And so that gave rise to the very popular <gasps> saying, being caught red-handed. Oh, oh I see. Wow. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised I am because it's a pretty bloodiest red. I mean, I assumed it hands, was but- like you got
1: caught red-handed, like you're in the middle of something, but not that it was associated with blood hands specifically. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. which I thought was very cool. And another very cool thing is that while they can't testify against <laughs> you, <laughs> oh, they do have really cute bays, though they do. A bloodhound's tracking ability is so accurate, it is accepted as circumstantial or corroborating evidence in legal cases.
1: Sweet. That's awesome. That's so cool. Isn't that neat? They can't do that with cadaver dogs, though. No. They can use them to find the evidence, but they can't use them to be like, the dog marked on here if they don't have the well, evidence. I'll also say yeah. the
0: bloodhound usually does, person's probably been found. So it's like, we found him. This dog helped. Instead mm-hmm. of like... There was a dead body here. It's a little more nebulous. Yeah, I guess that's true. They use them a lot in prisons for like prison Mm. escapees. And then they also use them for searching for lost animals, which
1: is very sweet. so sweet. sweet. He's like looking for another dog. Exactly. Exactly. I got
0: you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And then one of the most famous bloodhounds, I told you, I went down (laughs) with a really deep rabbit hole. Um, Bloodhounds are so fun and cute, though. One of the most famous bloodhounds was named Detective oh. Nick Carter. Oh, my God. Not oh the backstreet boy. Oh, yeah. His brother was Aaron. Yes. Detective Nick Carter oh was born in 1900.
1: I love that he made
0: detective. I know. And he was credited with over 650 fines. I hope he has wow. a little badge. Yes. In the it's one just like picture. on his collar. Yeah. He's so cute, He's too. so good and smart.
1: Wait, so, like, police stations have kind of, like, hierarchies based on ranks, right? Mm-hmm. What if, like, one of the detectives called out and the only detective there for the day was <laughs> was him? And then- I'm Detective <laughs> Nick Carter. <laughs> and so all the people are like, sir, can I get you a coffee? <laughs> Just, like, what- how do we- <laughs> <laughs> you gotta give him a ball. Because they're all subservient, like down the hierarchy this thing. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, that just popped into my head as a hilarious option. So, like, the traffic officers
0: are having to scratch his belly. <laughs> yes. <Yeah.
1: laughs> Anyways,
0: Detective Nick Carter, hats off to you. You a good boy. Good boy. All right, back to it. So, you remember those two boys, Reiner and yes. Tom? Yes. Well, evidently they didn't heed the judge's warning and they were caught, this is the same day, Monday, March 20th, trying to purchase a hunting knife and thirty caliber rounds. So Sheriff Blackburn had them arrested because he thought they were aiding and abetting Earl. Ah. Hmm. The boys denied it, of course, but he did take them down to the police station and put them in lockup, at least for a little bit. I thought they just wanted to poach again. I was like, can't we just wait a week? They're hungry. Well, yeah, okay. So, Tuesday, March 21st, 1939, the bloodhounds from Colorado arrived. They started their search at the Durand family farm. But sadly, these pups were not successful like Detective Nick Carter. So, want, want there. I was hoping, like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great tie-in here. I was hoping for it, but no, sadly, uh, these guys were were not as good as Detective Carter.
1: Or they had a lot more ground with, like, open air and a lot of really weird confounding scents around, too. Very true. Very true. More ground to cover.
0: Meanwhile, Earl, who is, like, the fucking Houdini (laughs) of prison escapees or jail escapees, (laughs) he's around, right? He's around. Uh Uh-huh. They just can't fucking find him, so... Earl pays a visit to the Graham Farm, and it's the guy's name is Herf H-E-R-f. Herf. <laughs> Herf, 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 H-E-R-F. Herf, 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 I love it, honestly. Herf had a farm northeast of Powell, and Earl wanted to borrow Herf's son's thirty caliber rifle. Okay, not his son. <laughs> And Earl promised Herf that the gun would be returned, and he even had Herf write down the serial number so that he could, quote, recover it from the sheriff, end quote. Okay, Herf. Herf. Earl was very polite and very considerate, according to Herf. Did Herf know what was happening? Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, this is also the, a mountain of a man, right? And oh, he comes fair. into your house. I keep forgetting how big he is. Yeah. Yeah big dude so earl also ended up taking a six shooter f- pistol from Herve, and then later when police asked her why he assisted earl not much of a choice there bud he indicated quote i felt it a smart judgment not to argue the point end quote Osley her smart guy i like herf so after Earl left Herf's farm, he went across the field and he went to Harley Jones's farm. And the Jones parents or Harley and his wife were gone. So it was just their two younger, like kind of teenage sons at home. And the boy said that Earl seemed calm and pretty unconcerned, but he demanded their 30 caliber ammunition and they gave it to him. Yep. More. Well, he had two guns now. So, Tuesday is also the day that Earl left a letter for Sheriff Blackburn. So, he mails this letter. And this letter is the reason why I picked this story to share with you. So, it should be noted that Earl listed his return address. So, he put his return address on this as the county
1: morgue.
0: <gasps> oh, wow. He knew it was happening. Earl, what the fuck happened to you? The letter is as follows. My dear Mr. Blackburn, not sheriff, right? Nope, mister. mister. That was one dirty trick of you to jail those two boys because I got away. He's been following around. He he knows. If you send them over the road, I will kill you and that blatantly blank district attorney if I live long enough and possibly can. Tell King and Kennedy, so King is one of the wardens. Kennedy is that ex-warden, right, who's... Like leading the posse. Oh, yeah. Tell King and Kennedy to always carry a pistol. If I ever meet them, I will give them a chance for an even draw. Something I would give you if you put up those boys. Tell the man whose beef I killed that if I live long enough to get back to the mountains, he has nothing to fear from me, and I hope to never see him again. When you get after me, take about 20 men for your bodyguard and put braces on their knees. Of course I know I'm done for and when you kill me, I suggest that you have my head mounted and hang it in the courthouse for the sake of law and order. Jesus Christ <laughs> your beloved enemy Earl Duran Oh
1: thats kind of cute your beloved enemy Oh I kind of I kind of like that <laughs> I
0: should add that to like my work uh, like, signature yes PS. I know where King lives, so he may expect me <gasps> around any time to shake hands.
1: Oh uh, man, damn! That's a long that's a long letter.
0: Yeah, and it's all in cursive. Really, like it was nicely written. I mean, he, there's a couple misspellings in there, but I mean, anyways, I I was intrigued yeah. by this letter. <laughs> On Wednesday, March twenty second, nineteen thirty nine, at three thirty in the morning. Earl broke into the home of the Thornburgs. Earl demanded that they drive him 35 miles northwest of Powell to Clark's Fork Canyon. So they obliged, and they left around 4.30, right? They had to get up, get dressed.
1: Okay, um, let me make some breakfast.
0: (laughs) So just before dawn, the Thornburgs leave Earl along Little Rocky Creek, and then they turn around and drive back to Powell and notify Sheriff Blackburn, hey...
1: (laughs) Hey, guess what just happened? We did this thing.
0: Earl, stop by. <laughs> now, the posse that's hunting for Earl has grown to over 65 men. So they kind of set up a base camp kind of in the general area. And then they went on their search for the ever elusive Earl. They did end up splitting into groups of five. And then they started to search the area where the Thornburgs had left Earl. And around dusk, Earl was actually spotted by warden boyd benyon you remember him from the beginning of the story it was his group that he was leading on a high ridge between the creek and the mouth of the clark fort canyon so two men from the group like ignored warden benyon's order to kind of like stay back they were like no we're two guys we could take him but again earl is a massive dude Earl. they were 40 yards away from earl Earl opened fire. He shot them both dead. It doesn't really matter how big you are if he has a gun. That's true, but just the thought that they- Why didn't they have a gun? I don't know. Hubris. Attempts were then made to recover the bodies, but Earl would just, like, open fire. (laughs) No, not these two idiots. So the men decided that it would be more advantageous for them to kind of go back down to camp until at least daybreak, right? They can see out there. Whatever it was that Herf said. Yeah. <laughs> I felt it smart judgment not to argue the point.
1: Yep. I felt it smart judgment to retreat for the evening. So they're doing this and it's snowy? Yes. Ugh. This just sounds <laughs> exhausting. It
0: does, doesn't it? And this just day after day after day. So Sheriff Blackburn ended up contacting, same day on Wednesday, March 22nd, he contacted the Montana governor, Roy Ayers, and asked for a trench mortar and a howitzer. And I had to look up howitzer. Whoa. I'm I'm not a gun person. Yeah, that sounds big gun, though. So, essentially, that's, like, a ground-based artillery weapon. So, you, like,
1: it's on the ground. It's got a stand. It's, like, the the real mobster shit. When they, like, pull that out of the trunk and start setting it oh up, my you God. know, something bad, bad's going to happen. You're fucked, this right? Is <laughs> the whole building's going down.
0: The governor agrees and then also says, hey, man... I get you. I, I, we've been hearing about this. So I'm going to go ahead and send a unit from our National Guard. Okay. Sweet. Thursday, March 23rd, 1939, Sheriff Blackburn and a small group of men are able to retrieve the bodies of Linnaberry and Argentino. And those were the two guys that had kind of like tried to rush Earl. Uh. So they were still under heavy fire from Earl. And then after they- Why is no one bodies, firing back? I mean, I guess they're getting the howitzer. They get the bodies and they head back down to the base camp and then they get there and they're like, sweet, the National Guard units here from Montana and the trench mortar and the howitzer. So Friday, March 24th, 1939, Sheriff Blackburn picks a team of like 12 men. So these are like the pick of the pick. Right. And he wants to go up there and he wants to kill earl that's the goal each of these 12 men are carrying 100 rounds of ammunition oh my god and they head back up the mountain he did tell him to bring a bunch of people he did yeah so earl (laughs) not being stupid right earl's very smart you know while they're going up the mountain he's going down the other side okay i was like he should probably leave (laughs) So he ends up making it down to the road and he kind of like hunches down and like sits on the side of the road and he's kind of waiting and watching. But like most of the cars are like passing by in like groups or clusters. And so he doesn't want to go out there. So like to have multiple witnesses, he just wants like a singular car. So then probably like half hour later or something, a singular car comes by. And so he kind of gets out and like flags the car down. This car was owned by a man named Harry Moore, who was like something to do with, I don't know, the local radio or something. And accompanying him is his friend, John Simpson, and then Simpson's 86-year-old father, Peter Simpson. Oh, so they're in the car. But right again, Earl's, he's not mad at like the locals. He's mad at law enforcement. So he's, he's pissed at those guys. Earl gets into the car and then he's like, I want to be taken to Deaver, Wyoming. So they drive Earl to Deaver. What are you going to do? do do? You do what Earl says. So there Earl goes to this ammunition store and he collects 300 rounds of ammunition that he had pre-ordered under an alias. When did did he pre-order this? Like before the poaching? No. through The internet. (laughs) So he's been around town. Like, he's watching. He's, okay, like, okay. stalking He knows stalking what's going them. down. Yeah. Oh, God. Right, because he knew about the boys getting arrested. Yeah. Like, he knows what's going on. He's not dumb. So then his second stop for the, this car trip is at a gas station. And Earl gets $2.70 worth of gas. So that may not seem I like, like I don't much even these know. days. Back in 1939, at 19 cents a gallon, oh that equals 4 14 gallons
1: of gas. That's a whole tank. Oh, God. Great. Wonderful. What was the fuel economy on vehicles back then? Probably really low. Yeah, that's true.
0: (laughs) The next stop on this party train is at the Duran family farm. And so he goes in and he gets, you know, some more stuff, some more of his stuff. And then he comes out and he says, I want you to take me to Pine Bluff's coal mine. And so at about 1230, they all arrive at the mine, and Earl tells them to take a hike. Literally, because now they have to hike back three miles to the nearest house. Oh, my God. Grandpa Simpson's like, fuck this. Right? 86 years old in winter. Yeah. Earl. Earl bids adieu to the men, and he takes the car, and he drives back to Powell. Jesus Christ. This is the day, though. This is Friday, March 24th. This is this is the day. So Earl parks near the First National Bank. Weird. What do you think Earl's going to do? I mean, I guess have a bank, it. but he also thinks he's going to die, so I don't know what the point is. Well, maybe he wanted to, like, get some money to see if he could, like, escape, escape. Maybe okay. down to the donkey okay. show in Mexico. I don't know. He could just walk. He could. But he would need money to live down there, right? So... Anyways, at about 130, Earl enters the bank, and there is a very, very detailed and very, very lengthy account of what happens next by a bank teller, Maury Knutson. But I'm not gonna bore you with the details. Like this is like a six page <laughs> statement. I'm not gonna do it. This is an armed robbery, okay? Yeah. You guys can fill in the I blanks. Got it. There was actually a reporter from the Billings Gazette, his name was George Blevins, that he was across the street from the bank at the time the robbery started. And again, so people are like hearing of this story, right? Because law enforcement's calling all these other agencies. So like it's it's in the papers, like, like a lot of people know about this. So people start kind of coming into town and stuff. So anyways, George Blevins is there. He's across the street from the bank. And he starts hearing gunfire and he's like, oh man, a story, right? Oh, yeah. Let me
1: run towards (laughs) it.
0: He's a reporter. So, what does he do? He called his paper and told them, I don't know what's going on, but there's like somebody's robbing the local bank. And so, Blevins, his like, whatever, what do you, editor, is like, oh, hold on. Let me patch you in to the local radio station, ah. and then you can give us, like, this, like, live... Play-by-play. Play. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Ah. George is, like, giving all this information out, and so, like, I mean, people are just going nuts, right? So people start, like, coming into town, they want to see what's going on, they want to know. Tons of looky-loos are headed to town, right? Tons of them. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is going on? And then Earl emerged from the bank with hostages, and they were kind of, like, he had them kind of, like, half-circled around him. Uh-huh. Kind of like a shield almost. Uh huh. So people are watching this, and one of the bystanders was a 17 year old boy named Tipton Cox. <laughs> That's a good name. <laughs> Tip of the Cox to you, sir. So he was a senior at Powell High School, and Cox ended up grabbing a rifle and fired at Earl. And Cox was not, like, very experienced. He had done, like, a little bit of target practice, but he wasn't like some of the other kids in town, right? Yeah. So, he... It wasn't really his thing. However, he struck Earl in the chest. How did he... I was sure he would hit a hostage. Nope. Yeah. He got Earl right in the chest. So, lucky shot, basically, is what this is. Mm -hmm. So. Earl, now remember, he's a very big dude, so this does not take him down. This is, like, literally a shot to the chest. Does not take him down, but he is injured. And so he, like, turns around and kind of retreats back into the bank. And he gets in there, and then he sits down. He pulls out his pistol, and he shoots himself. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. And that was the end of Earl. I think at that point he figured there was just absolutely no way, being injured and everything, there was just no way that he was going to get out of the situation. It's weird that he didn't, could have still tried to take a couple of people down with him. But he wasn't mad at the town. Yes. uh, I I think at that point he saw
1: that a kid was was trying to take him out, so then he's like, man, what what does it come to? A police, but if the police
0: were coming the authorities were coming, then you could at least take some of them down. I don't even know why he was so mad at them. It never said. And so the only thing that it, like, kind of said was that, like, they were mocking him in the jail. Oh, yeah. About the death of the cows. But it never said, like, hey, we always picked on him. Like, we no. always gave him a hard time or and he made, like, or whatever, right look like an idiot, but, like, he didn't kill him. No, exactly. And so and then all of the accounts from all of the people involved, like all of the townsfolk that were involved is that like he is gruff for sure, but he's polite. He was, you know, I'm not going to say he's friendly. He's polite. He didn't like nobody felt like they were in immediate danger from him. They were just like, whatever you want. Yeah. OK, we'll cooperate. You're giant. Oh, yeah. Dude. During the whole spree. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. After Earl's death, they took him to the morgue. Oh, his home address. Over 5,000 people were allowed to go through the morgue to view his body. Not to watch the autopsy, but viewing his body is pretty good. And then you could say that the city of Powell was kind of like soaking it up, right? Because we're in the news. Tarzan of the Tetons is what he was. It's a really catchy name. Was dead, right? So... Earl's death actually was quite beneficial in this era for the small town businesses. Oh, so, my God. So, I mean, he was, even in his death, <laughs> he was giving to his community.
1: Oh.
0: Okay? Oh. Earl was finally buried in Crown Hill Cemetery by his family, and they held a very small ceremony. There was about 50 family and friends that were in attendance. And then, of course, because of all the drama surrounding all of this, the Durand family did move away from Powell. It's a lot to live with. Yeah. But that is the story of Earl Durand, Tarzan of the Tetons. It's just like, that came out of fucking nowhere. Right? So what do you think made Earl snap? Like, I mean, what else mentally could have made him snap?
1: I. How old was he? 26. 26. I mean, there's like, what is it? Periodicity of seven years or so every seven years in your young adulthood, like late teen to early 20s. There's like two, two major time points, basically, that schizophrenia could like top in. 26 is a little late. I don't know. It almost feels like there was just something that just
0: fucking snapped inside of him. And he was like, you know what? Fuck you. This is it. I'm done. Also, this was like, thirty nine, So the depression was... 39. Yeah. So the depression was also kind of... I don't know, more of a more. It wasn't as bad as it was. I could see maybe being a little mad about poaching if everyone around you was starving. But I don't think that was also the situation. I... Mm... And we don't know like there's nothing I tried to like dive into like what was the reason why and I just I didn't come well, up. well there's with no anything, way to so. know because he just he could have written another letter before <laughs> that would have been very helpful because he was very articulate. He was very very articulate so and I was wrong it's schizophrenia is more mid to late 20s. I don't think he was having hallucinations, or he didn't
1: seem disordered thinking. He was, yeah. But I mean, like brain chemistry wise, that could, yeah. F- but if he had the like forethought to like order ammunition under, yeah. uh, an assumed name, like, well, we had we had someone lose themselves mentally in Davis not that long ago. Yeah, over, that's true. Over who knows what? So it's like it's not unheard of for someone to just kind of snap. In. But they did not hold themselves. Together as well, either. No,
0: we don't really get a clear answer of like what set Earl off, or like w- you know what was going on. But he was very calm throughout. <laughs> yeah, like when he was working with the the town, ta- or not working with, but when he was <laughs> employing them as chauffeurs. Well, and he was also, like, stalking the police. Like, he knew what was going on. He knew what they were doing. Like, he was very aware of all of the situation. So, that, I think, speaks a little bit to a Capricorn's
1: characteristics. Oh,
0: yeah. I see that. The, like, the teaching yourself thing can be a Capricorn thing, too. And honestly, like, getting super into a hobby, the running <laughs> thing, getting super into a hobby and wanting to be the very good at it that's a capricorn thing and then to add to this because i did have his birth date and location i was able to get his moon and his mercury oh wow Ooh. so he is an aquarius moon also interested in learning yes little quirky a little quirky a li- little quirky <laughs> and his mercury was in sagittarius okay that's where the Go down to Mexico. The tracks a little bit. The donkey. That is uh, where the, uh, like, really, I cannot think of the word. Anyway, that's just where the erraticness can pop out out of nowhere. And just a sense of, like, traveling and and going to other places. He went to Oregon to fight fire. He was constantly moving. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a very Sagittarius type thing. So He, like, covered, like, the whole state of Wyoming while he was doing this, just driving around. (laughs) So the combination of the Capricorn sun, Aquarius moon, like the positive attributes of that is like attentiveness, honesty, and being kind of idealistic, which I mean, he was very honest with the people that he encountered. He told them what he needed. He was very direct in that. He was attentive in his, community where people were having a hard time. He was like, I'm going to help you out. So, I mean, that kind of reads pretty true. And then the negatives of that is that you can be a little disruptive. Mm -hmm. In this case, very Uh disruptive. A little egocentric, which, yeah, I think he had a little bit of... Capricorn can bring a heavy ego. There was arrogance to it. The letter that he wrote was definitely... Writing a letter at all, number one, is already kind of an ego thing to do when you're running from the yeah. police. And then putting your address at the morgue is just like you think right. they're so clever. And I did think it was kinda of clever. So
1: It was what, kind whatever.
0: Of clever. The disruptiveness from the Aquarius kind of breaks through that like rigidness of the Capricorn. Which also would make it easier for him to be like, I don't need to go to school. I don't need this like formalized version of something. I can do it myself. Exactly. Whereas a Capricorn more like structure and tradition. And uh, Aquarius will follow their own path a bit more. Not normally into murder. His sag Mercury is just like, huh. huh. Uh, there's a lot there that we didn't see coming at all. It's very erratic. Very erratic. That is what I have for you. Tarzan of the Tetons. Tarzan of the Teton. So on Monday, May 22nd, Mars in Leo is going to be square with Jupiter in Taurus. And this is a very super sassy aspect. Sassy. Stubborn. And it's very stubborn. Mm. Yes. So basically, you're going to fight with everyone. And everyone's going to think they're right. So it's really just better if you don't engage with people on Monday. So I'm going to have to like make a mental note for myself <laughs> to be like, Put your earbuds in and just don't talk to anybody. Remember, it's Monday. Just ignore everybody. Damn it. And then on Friday, May 26th, Venus in Cancer is going to be sextile with Uranus and Taurus. And this is a lovely little aspect that gives us success in love and money. Okay, I'll take some money. Mm -hmm. And this is great because it's also my birthday. So I'm going to get... Some love and some money, I'm all That's about perfect. <laughs> because we're also hitting Gemini season this week. Yes. So goodbye. Goodbye, just like bedbound Taurus. Before the beds are set in, we gotta get up now and go do some activity with the Geminis. Right. We're gonna be a little bit more energetic. Well I want a little bit more interaction, maybe. Yeah, I think the switch into Gemini is kind of what's lifting my funk as well. I think Taurus. Really oh, Taurus just kinda... is really funk you. I like Taurus a lot, yeah. but it can be very funky. Like I tell the boys on the other podcast all the time, I think I'm actually a very boring person. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, oh yeah, that's this is all. I I don't want to do anything else. This is this is perfect. Nothing. And then uh, we are going to end the week Sunday, May 28th, with a square. But not all squares are bad. So this is the sun in Gemini is square with Saturn in Pisces. And we are going to wind down the week with a super lazy aspect.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: I'll take that. Maybe I'll take a bath. You're not going to be focused on work. You're not going to be focused on projects. You are just going to be focused on fun or something you want to do. I mean, you're just not going to even bother with work which is what I already do with my weekends now but (laughs) well and hopefully everyone would have Monday Memorial Day. Oh yeah it's Memorial Day. I mean think about that. I get holidays now. Yay. So it's gonna be a really just kind of a lazy fun Sunday so I'm gonna need that as well because again my very fun day is on Friday even though I have to work which I'm a little sad about. Ah but but you have a weekend plus a holiday to Recover slash yeah. continue. Yeah, uh, and that's why I really love my birthday because I always have a three-day weekend around it. Yeah, like, oh, that's super uh, nice. It's like a glimmer of hope in there. <laughs> but if any of our listeners would like to reach out, you can reach us on Twitter at True Trying, Instagram, True Crime Trying, Facebook, or at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at trying at gmail.com. And then check out the website, www.truecrimetrying.com. Dot com. .com Bye Bye Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely sarah guest as for production well they call me post production show notes are available upon request just email trine at gmail.com join us again next week for another tantalizing episode